can turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18. Christmas choices. I was in the 8th grade at um, Belk, Beck, trying to think of the name of my school, Beck Middle School. It's the first year of the integration movement in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, I came in after lunch to a classroom, and there were a bunch of guys hovering in one corner uh, smoking marijuana. And as soon as I figured out what was going on, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? And they immediately told me, you tell anyone, we will kill you. And so I turned to leave, and about that time, the teacher comes in. And she says, "Uh uh-huh, I caught you. Me and the others included. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, "Uh, I'm just leaving. No, you're not. You know, and I, I said, you, you didn't give me a chance to explain. I said, uh, as soon as I figured out what's going on, by the way, I'm not saying anything, but what's going on, you know, um, I was about to leave. The only reason I was still here is because you came in before I could get out. I said, I didn't have the ability or the opportunity to leave. And she seemed to be moved by the fact that I had no ability or no opportunity. So she let me go. And it made me start to think, you know, there's, there's lots of times where I don't have ability and opportunity to do things. We grow up thinking we've always got an ability. We've always got an opportunity. We can make choices. But sometimes we can't make choices. I want us to think this morning about Christ's choices. He did. He's the only one that always has ability and opportunity. He can make choices that we can't make. He made a choice for my physical birth as well as for my spiritual birth. He had the ability and the opportunity, and he chose to do both. That's extremely significant. I value it greatly, and we need to to see that the benefits of Christ's ability, his opportunity to make choices. Um, He had the freedom to choose his birth on earth. And we didn't have that freedom. You think about Christ's first Christmas, it was him making the choice to come to earth and to be here for us. Let, Let me read it. Hebrews 2. Verses 14 through 18. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. There's a choice there. He chose to take flesh and blood because he said, that's what my children have, flesh and blood. He chose that. And he himself goes on, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he chose to come through death, that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So he he chose a conflict with the devil. See that he chose this condition of flesh and blood. He chose to go through death. He chose to enter into battle, warfare, with Satan. Verse 15 and might, so that he might free those who through fear of death 
were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Christ didn't choose to exist. He already existed. He existed in the heavens. He existed in the invisible world. He chose to take flesh and blood. He chose to come to earth. We celebrate that this time of year, that Christ made a choice. He didn't choose to exist since he already existed. We, you remember John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things that came into being came into being through Christ, the Word. And the Word came and dwelt among us, took on flesh. But this Word already existed. He was God. He existed before any part of creation. He chose to come to earth, take our nature, flesh and blood, die in our place through death, rise again, do battle with Satan, and stand as our high priest to intercede for us day after day. That's the work of Christ extremely significant is because we sometimes forget this, this opportunity to choose that we don't see how significant it is. I want you to see these four choices this morning. First of all, his choice for a degrading condition. And I call it degrading because it's clearly a demotion. It's clearly beneath him to stoop down and to take on flesh and blood. Um, that's what Christ chose to do, verse 14. Since the children share in this nature, flesh and blood, he himself also took. He partook of it. Didn't have to. We use the word partook. Uh, I partook of a drink. I partook of food. We had a Christmas celebration yesterday. And I partook of ham and rice and gravy and cream corn and rolls and Con pie and chocolate delight. I took it. Oh, that's good. Christ took flesh and blood. Not as good. It was a degrading condition for Christ to take on flesh and blood. You think about your own flesh and blood. It's so limited. I can't imagine what it would be like to wake up without the limitations of my flesh. To wake up without pain, without affliction, without being tired, without being limited, with, with, without being restricted to geography, location. Christ took to himself these... When he takes humanness, he takes, he takes pain. He takes our nature, which he had none of, until he took it for himself. I mean, consider... Consider the choices. God could have perhaps chosen to be God from a distance. 
But he didn't choose to be God from a distance. He chose to be Emmanuel, God with us. He chose to be near us. He chose to be like us, one of us. He said, I, he said, I didn't come to, to redeem, to save, to, to be near angels. I chose to be near you. You're the type of creation I chose to be like. Extremely significant when you think of the choices he could have made. He chose to be human. He chose to get out of the invisible world. And to come into our very visible and physical world. To to minister and to take care of us. And I've been trying to wrap my head around what that would be like. Um... This is probably a terrible illustration, but think of it this way. Suppose you could make the choice to become a mosquito. Would you do it? A mosquito. I mean, after all, mosquitoes, it's not so bad. I mean, they get to zip around. There's probably plenty of stagnant water they can hang out in. There's plenty of muggy climates. There's plenty of blood to suck. You've got to be wary of that chemical warfare, though. You know, it's coming after you all the time. If you were aware of all the, the possibilities as a mosquito and all the negatives, w- would you choose to be a mosquito? I mean, it's at least a step above a slug, right? Would we do that? And we say, that's, that's so unlike us. Yes, that's my point. Being human is so unlike God. It's, the gap's probably even bigger than us becoming like a mosquito. Because that mosquito still exists in this environment. and still exists in a very limited way. Christ took flesh and blood for you and me. Uh, Philippians 2 says, he didn't regard equality with God, something he wanted to hold on to. See, Christ, before he chose flesh and blood, he was equal with God the Father, equal with God the Holy Spirit, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And he chose, I'm not going to hold that. Well, turn loose of that so I can take flesh and blood. So I can be one of us so he can minister to where we are. Uh, You know, would anyone really... You know, I've I've never met anyone. This is just a rhetorical question. Would anyone really want to give up humanity to be a mosquito? No. We would not. I've never met anybody that would want to do that. I would check them into some insane hospital if I did. You know, God chose flesh. One of us. Uh, amidst all the choices Christ could make, amidst all the choices we make, let us remember this season that Christ chose to take to himself flesh and blood, that he might redeem those 
who partake of the same, flesh and blood. Quite a choice that Christ made. Then second, see his choice for deathly condemnation. It says he partook of the same death through death. He knew when he came to earth that he was going to come through death. He chose that. So not only will I take human flesh, I will choose to die a human. And he chose to come and to die. He knew the wages of sin is death. He knew the consequences of our death, of our sin, killed us and sent us before the judgment seat of God to expect hell for eternity. He knew that. He knew the passage of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. I mean, it just baffles me. It's beyond my imagination that Christ could give to Isaiah. You read it today if you want. Isaiah 53. He gave the prophets the the forecast. I'm coming to earth. I'm going to take flesh and blood. I'm going to be one like you, and I'm going to die in your place. He gave that message to Isaiah some 600 years before it happens. He knew his choice, and then he had 600 years to ponder. This is what I told him. Do I need to tweak this a little bit? I mean, what was I thinking? I'm coming to earth, and I'm going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to take it. I'm going to let them inflict me with pain and suffering. I'm going to let me string them string me up on the cross, and I'm going to let them cry out, crucify, crucify, crucify. And I'm going to die for them. That was his choice. He made that choice, and he had hundreds of years to think about that choice. And yet, he still chooses in the fullness of time, to come to earth, take flesh and blood, and go through the death he had already proclaimed and ordained for him. That's Christ's choice for us. Um, You know, many times at Christmas, we focus on the cradle more than the cross. And Christ's focus was on the cross more than the cradle. It's, it's, but even the cradle, I come to the cradle to go through death, to go to the cross, and not just stop at the cross, to go through death is the scripture here. The cross was not all. The cross was not it. Uh, there was more. There was the resurrection that was coming. Um, how do you feel that? How do you feel the cost of our redemption? I can't get my hands around what it feels like to be a mosquito. How do I feel this? It's somewhat like, which is why very few people do it, it's somewhat like being a missionary where you're going to go and start an inner city ministry, an inner city work. You're going to plant an inner city church. It's hard to do that work because to do that, to do it incarnationally, to be one of them in our affluent society, that means you go to the inner city. And in the inner city, by that, I mean that part of any community where you're going to run into the homeless. And you're going to see those that are all in rentals. And they don't want to pay 
their rent. And they walk up and down the streets to sell drugs and get drugs. And you come to redeem them from that and they don't want you. Because you want to redeem them out of what they want to perpetuate. And so they start to mock you and ridicule you and even destroy you and get rid of you because you're a threat to the life they have learned to enjoy. And not only am I asking you to do that ministry, but you go there and you do that and you, you leave your nice home and your nice car behind. You give it to somebody in the inner city. Here's the keys to my house, my car. I choose to be among this people. You can go and live somewhere else and have it. I'm going to now live for the rest of my days in the inner city. And I'm going to live like one of you. And I'm going to live with your threats and your ridicule. And your seeing me is so different that it bothers you. And you just really want to squash me out. But that's where I'm going to live. Can you feel that? Because that's what Christ chose to do. He chose not only to take flesh and blood, but he he chose to live like we live, knowing that that was going to be a threat, that many would not like him for it. Many would threaten him and ridicule him and spit upon him and cry out to crucify him and eventually would. That was his choice. Uh, Do we see the, the significance of Christ's deathly condemnation? Would we be willing to take someone else's death and debt and to give them all that we have? You know, I marvel uh, at Christ choosing to be condemned in my place. Don't miss the phrase, through death, so much more. Christ said, I don't want to stop at death. I want to rise again. Christ's number one offensive weapon was active obedience, perfect obedience to the law of God. And it led him into conflict with the devil who always wants to get us to be lawless. To be contrary to the law of God, his temptation is always, don't do that, do this, because it's lawless. Because it's contrary to God and his nature. So Jesus came to earth and he chose to perfectly obey the law of God. To enter into this conflict with Satan. And notice what he does as a result, verse, the last part of verse 14. That he might render powerless... Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Christ came to free us through death. And he knew that he would have to, to battle Satan because Satan had the power that if you sin to hold you in the grave, that if you sin to, to hold you uh, under condemnation, Christ said, I want to free them from that. To free them from that, I must die, not only in their place, but I must die as a perfect, righteous substitute sufficient to redeem them. So he came 
knowing that he would have to do battle with Satan. And the battle rages from, from the beginning. I mean, you, you can imagine uh, Jesus at his birth. You know, he, he was born. Um, he he you know, had the freedom to choose all of these things. You know, if, if I were an invisible something, and I haven't been created yet, and God says to me, David, I'm going to create you and put you on earth. I'm going to create some flesh and blood for you. I would say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Can we think this through? If you're going to put me there, can you give me some, some time to do a little research? I want to I I pick, you know, the right place to live. I want to pick the right environment. I want to pick the most fun one, the most painless one. I want to pick the best century to live in with all the right technology. I want to pick the best parents in that century to live under. And I want all the opportunities for advancement. Christ chose Bethlehem. Christ chose the cradle. Christ chose to announce it to shepherds. Christ chose all, all these people come to a cradle, yes. And they're there just for a short time. And then Joseph and Mary go t- and find a house. And then the wise men show up. And the wise men show up. They worship Jesus. And as soon as they leave, says, as soon as they leave, an angel comes to Joseph and says, you better get out of here quick. Because Herod is going to try to kill your son, Jesus. And Joseph the obedient man that he wanted. He didn't even wait till morning. He grabs up Mary and, and Jesus. And in the night, they run as fast as they can run to escape Herod and run to Egypt. And you can imagine Jesus as this little child as Mary grabs him up and Joseph, come on, come on, we're running, we're running, we're going, we're going to Egypt. And Jesus thinking, yeah, the battle has begun. Even now, Satan wants to destroy me. So much so, he will destroy every baby around me in an attempt to kill me. That's the conflict that had begun with Christ's choice to come to be with us. And Satan finds him again in the wilderness before his ministry and tempts him on at least three occasions to deny God and to come away from the law of God. And Jesus withstands that temptation, always perfectly doing the will of God. And the conflict rages, and Satan creates others that would be mad at, antagonistic towards Christ. So he's constantly persecuted time and time again, and he has to retreat just for his own protection. Because the battle is raging, this conflict. And as Christ goes to the cross... He dies on the cross in our place. But that's just temporary. He just goes through the cross. And that's, that's when the conflict is at the pinnacle. It says he dies. He ascends to the Father. He's given all authority in heaven and on earth. He comes back to earth and busts forth through the grave. Why? Because of perfect righteousness. Because the fact, the wages of sin is death, but he has committed no sin. No impurity has ever been found within him. He is sinless. And so, because he is sinless, the grave can't hold him. Sin can't hold him. Satan can't hold him. So he busts out of the grave. He is resurrected. And he says, ha, 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And he rises as the conqueror, as the victor, as the overcomer for you and me. Glory. Hallelujah. That's the choice he made. I mean, I could, I could make some choices to go into battle if I thought I could win. But who can win the battle of perfect obedience? Anybody? None of us have. None of us have a hope of being perfectly obedient. And yet Christ was without sin. So he could perfectly die in our place and take to himself the power over sin, over grave, over the grave, grant to us the power of his resurrection. It's just unfathomable. Well, another choice he makes, and this one I can't get either, verses 15 through 18, this choice to be mediator and high priest. Verse 16, assuredly he does not give help to the angels. He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. You notice descendants in the singular? Because literally there, the word is seed. He gives help to the seed of Abraham. Seed can be both plural and singular. So he's talking about everyone who is included in the promise God made to Abraham. He comes to give the seed of Abraham help. And he ends verse 18, and he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So he's not only giving help to the seed of Abraham one time through his death and resurrection, but he says he's able to constantly give assistance to the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is the church. It's the people of God. It's the people God has chosen to save. So Christ didn't just come to save people starting in 33 AD and to our day. Christ came to save people starting in Abraham's day to 33 AD to beyond. So he hasn't just been coming to the assistance of those that are of the seed of Abraham for the last 2,000 years, but he's been coming to the assistance of those for the last 6,000 years. goes back 4,000 more. So the promise that was made to them was, was, was looking forward to Christ, Christ coming and setting himself up as our great high priest in the heavens to render assistance and aid to the seed of Abraham. Which is why it's crucial that you say, Lord, include me. Let me receive you. I want to be of that seed. I want to be in that promise that you have made that you will save a people. I want to be that part of that people group. The ministry is forever. What a commitment. Christ coming to earth was not a short-term mission trip. He didn't come for a little while. To do a little work. He says, I have come to live a perfect, righteous, obedient life for my people. To die in their place. To render death and sin and the grave powerless. And then to ascend to the throne on high. To sit down as their high priest so that they can come and seek grace for me. And I will intercede for them day and night until time is no more. 
Now, if you've got a bunch of children, it's amazing sometimes how they can all ask you for something at the same time. And and at some point you say, just be quiet. Hold on a minute. I can't handle all this at once. I can't. Jesus is hearing requests from his children all around the globe. 24-7. Until time is no What kind of commitment is that? That's what he chose to do. He said, I want to be there for you. Day and night, 24-7, if you need assistance, cry out in Jesus' name, I want to render assistance to my people. That's the choice he made. He chose no vacation. See, I can't wrap my head around that. I chose, Christ says, to be your faithful high priest so that you can come to me in your time of need and it doesn't matter how many other people are coming at the same time and no matter what language they speak, I can hear it all and I can take care of it all. I am your faithful high priest. What a choice Christ made. And he didn't make the choice, like I said, for a I'll just do it for a time. We don't get this because all of our choices are so temporal. Those of you who go to college, it's said of you, you go to college and and, and you make a commitment. I'm going to try to do this for for three, four, five years. And, And you do it and you succeed and you complete it. And then the average person who graduates college changes careers five times before they retire which means you committed yourself to five years or so at college, you succeed, and then you commit yourself to five years, maybe ten, to another job, that's all I can take, and then you switch to another one, and that's all you can take, and then you switch to another one, and that's all you can take. It's rare to find someone who says, I'm going to commit myself to this for three or four generations. Not even parenting. We're in a world that considers parenting to be short-term. So I, I, could, I could probably hang in here for 15, maybe 20 years, and then I'm done. They're on their own, buddy. It's like, we can't take it. We're not committed that long. And the Scripture says, no, you, you need to think about discipling your children and your children's children and their children three, four generations out. And that just blows our mind. And yet to see Christ saying, that's my commitment is to love you 24-7, to render assistance to you, not just three and four generations, but I promise to be faithful for a thousand generations, for thousands and thousands of years. Christ has promised to hear our request and to render assistance. It's an unfathomable commitment that Christ has made to you and me. You know, when I think about it, how do, how do you respond to that? Isaac Watts says, we're the whole realm of nature mind. That would be a present far too small. Love so amazing demands my life, my soul, my all. How do you respond 
to the choice Christ made at Christmas. Well, I've given you five to think through. Ways you can respond. Christ did, clearly did not make a selfish choice. To be like him, let's make no selfish choices. He wasn't thinking of himself. He wasn't thinking of pleasing him. He wasn't thinking of what would be painless. He was thinking of others. Let's please Christ with denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. Second, no choices without personal cost. King David said, I I am not going to give an offering to God that costs me nothing. We're in a world that says, I'd be glad to give, but I can't give right now because it would be too painful. We want painless giving. David says, no, it needs to cost something. Christ's giving to us was very costly. Sometimes we're such cheapskates when it comes to investing in the kingdom of heaven. And Christ gave all, knowing the choice would include great pain. Number three, no choices without life-changing purpose. Christ did not come to do trivial stuff. It was life-changing. It produced eternal fruit. Think about ways you can invest your life into eternal, multi-generational fruit. Number four, no single generational choices. Let's do this. We sometimes live like this world is all there is, like our generation is all there is, and there's more, so much more. Let's build for the generations. Number five, above all, let's celebrate the incarnational work of Christ his choice for us. Christ had the freedom to abandon the program. He chose to stay in it and with it for us. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We adore you. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, given to us so that if we believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, It's unbelievable. This is good news that Satan has been rendered powerless, that we have authority from on high to live and be seated in heavenly places for an eternity because of Christ's choices. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. Thank you for this season that even our culture allows us the freedom to focus in on you and publicly give you praise. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Forgive us of our small views of Christ. Enlarge us. Help us to see the greatness and the glory of our Redeemer. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.